Good morning. Um, turn with, with me, if you would, to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3. We'll start at verse 1. We'll read the whole chapter. And when you find your place, please rise for the reading of God's word. Are we beginning to command to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and to be read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once, what, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For on this day, when, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains un- uplifted. For to this day, excuse me, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For all this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. You may be seated and pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we are so glad to come before you this day to pray with one another, to sing with one another, to praise your name with one another, to hear your word, Lord, and we pray that your spirit would superintend all this and and would imprint your word on our hearts and our minds so that we would be renewed and transformed. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that like the psalmist, we thirst for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And when we come into your sanctuary, Lord, we are refreshed. 
were renewed, were overjoyed to hear the truths uh, of, of the gospel. We thank you for Jesus, uh, who died for our sake, who was raised for our justification, who ascended on high and sits at the right hand of the Father, Lord, and we just give you thanks. We thank you that through him there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a great um, truth that is, Lord, and help us to live in light of that truth, Lord. Um, we, are, we are justified, we are uh, cleansed, and yet we, we can come before you each day confessing our sins, and we are renewed and we are cleansed again, Lord, for, from all of our sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far do you remove our sins, um, Lord, and we thank you for that. We thank you for, uh, Lord, the great works that have been, are, are being done in this church on a weekly basis. We know that it is only by your empowerment um, that, that we can do this, and we pray for your servants in this, in this building today, those who are not here as well. Lord, we pray for our missionaries throughout the globe. We pray for um, each and every one of them that you would, you would um, uh, meet their needs on a daily basis, both uh, spiritual and, and physical. We pray for those in the congregation here today, those who are suffering um, from illness or from uh, spiritual issues, Lord. We just pray that you, you would uh, minister to each one of us, Lord, and give us great confidence in, in who you are. Let us come boldly before your throne of grace, putting our petitions before you, Lord, confident that you will answer our prayers. Oh, Lord, you are so good, and we give you great thanks um, for that. We're reminded of the passage in Romans that says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Because he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also together with him graciously give us all things, Lord? And we're reminded that, uh, that nothing in this world can prevail against you. We're, we're thankful for that in times of uncertainty, Lord, that you are sovereign, you are in control, you are righteous, you are holy, you are mighty, you are good, and we give you thanks and praise for that. Now I pray for um, Stephen as he brings the word to us. May our hearts be open to your word, guide and direct our hearts and our minds so that we would be transformed and renewed. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And the children may be dismissed. Let me, uh, let me again reiterate uh, tonight communion service at 6 o'clock and I uh, want to um, just remind you and encourage you to come and worship with us as we remember the Lord's uh, death, burial, and resurrection uh, together as a church, hear testimonies and sing together. It's always a great time of blessing, uh, so keep that in mind. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Numbers, chapter number 6. The book of Numbers, chapter number 6. I'd like to begin our reading this morning in verse number 22. Uh, when you find your place, I'll just follow along with me as I read. 
The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. I, over the past two weeks, as Greg has been preaching here, I've heard reference to this passage uh, several times, at least twice that I know of, and it has just stood out to me and been an encouragement to me, so Lord willing, I'd like to share that with you this morning uh, a little bit. Pray with me one more time. Father, uh, this is your word. We are your people. We pray by your spirit that you would speak to us in Christ's name. Amen. Many years ago, a teacher in a New Testament class I was taking was speaking about the process, the procedures that went into the installment of a pastor in a Presbyterian denomination that he was part of. Partly, I thought it was many of the things that went on were odd, given the Baptist background that I came from. And so it was just interesting as he went through the whole thing. I'm not even sure what book we were studying and why it came up, but uh, he was just one of those guys who liked to talk about kind of whatever came to his mind. One of the things that was of particular interest or delight to him in that was at the end of the installment service, after the charge and, and all the things uh, of bringing the pastor on to be the shepherd over the people, um, the pastor would stand up, the newly installed pastor would stand up and he would raise his arms and he would pronounce or proclaim a prayer of benediction. And at that time I was very young and, and uh, uh, I had no idea what a benediction was, not sure if I liked it or not. Um, but nevertheless, I come to understand I knew what blessing was. I knew the desire of wanting to be blessed and, and that longing of us uh, to have God's blessing on our life. You and I know whether, no matter what church background we come from, the, uh, the joy and the peace that comes from God's presence. And what a comfort it is when we come to his word and we read words which promise to us and declare for us that very thing. That really is what a benediction is. It is the, it's the conclusion of the service. It's the statement and the reminder of God's presence and his blessing over his people. Well, in Numbers chapter number 6, where we find ourselves this morning, we find a jewel among the rough. And the reason I say it's a jewel among the rough, because God does that often in the Old Testament, especially the Pentateuch, as you read along and you'll... You get lost in what in the world are they talking about, and then all of a sudden you come to something, you're like, well, that's good. Well, this is one of those spots. You begin numbers with genealogies and names that most of you and I, if we're honest, skip over. Uh, has anyone ever done that? <laughs> or you say them in your head and you just kind of uh, gloss over whatever it does. It begins with setting the nation in order as a people of God. God is calling out of this ragtag group of, of delivered people from Egypt. Uh, 
these once who were slaves into order and establishing them as a nation. And so you begin Numbers in 1 and 2 as he is taking a census of the people who will be in charge and how many men of war there are in each tribe. And he begins telling us the job and the process of the Levites and what they will be and what they will do. And as he goes on, he speaks about purity and cleanness, and he actually sets the camp up. This is how I want you to set the camp. This is how I want the camp ordered. And I don't want you to just go pitch a tent anywhere you want to. You like this view better than this view or this side better than that side. God is establishing for them what it looks like when God is in the midst of his people. Everyone is is associated and oriented to the presence of God in the tabernacle. The tabernacle being the center of the people of God in numbers as he uh, conveys that for us early on in the book. Then he begins to talk about cleanness and and defilement in and, and chapter number 5 and part of the process that works through there because God is holy and God being in the camp should affect the the morality and the conduct of the people of God. I know that's a lot to take in. And then we have the Nazarite vows. And, and some of you probably have read over that or are familiar with that. But at the end of that, and I think rightfully so, it turns from just those who may seem to be blessed because they took certain vows or whatever season in life. And he points this proclamation, this declaration to the whole people of God. This is for God's people, all of the children of Israel, from the oldest to the youngest. It is this word of benediction, how life looks like and how life will be in relationship to God living among his people. As we look at this, I want to just kind of walk through it just a little bit as we see the promises God has given to us here. Some suggest that this was a benediction or a prayer that uh, the priest would give at the Day of Atonement. After that sacrifice for sin was was, uh, done and all the things that was taken care of was finished, then the priest would come out and pronounce a blessing of God's presence on his people. It probably was announced then in that way. Uh, others suggest this was more of a common prayer that would have been heard daily in the temple or the tabernacle as the priests were offering up sacrifices unto God and worship unto God. They would uh, continually and regularly pronounce the blessing of God, the benefit of God over his people. I think that is a good way for us to, uh, to look at it uh, this morning. Well, let's look at it beginning in verse number 22, verse number 23. And I want to make a few observations before we look at the promises contained in verse 24 through 26. The Bible says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, you shall say to them. I think it is very interesting that in your Bible, the ESV, you probably have written over that. Heading Aaron's Blessing. I'm not sure what any other translation or study Bible has. I haven't looked it up, but I think it is misplaced to some degree. Now, if I was editing it, and I say that carefully, editing headings is, I think, allowed, maybe. 
I would say this is more than just Aaron's proclamation over the people. Though it was instructed to Aaron to give to the people and his descendants to proclaim over the people, this is really a blessing from God. Another way of saying that this is what it looks like when the Lord blesses his people. This is God's blessing over his people. Again, you see that connection in verse number 27. So that put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. It is the Lord who blesses his people. So as we look at that, the first thing we notice that it is a, a prayer, as some suggest. And it says this is the priest as he would pray for the people or pray over the people of God. It may be true, but it wasn't a prayer that was whispered. One that was said quietly, if it is. And the reason I say that is because the emphasis in verse number 23 is that you will speak this. You will say this to them. It it, it may be a prayer. It probably is to some degree a prayer, but it is a proclamation. It is something that is meant to be said. Something that is meant to be declared, spoken out loud. The word of God is like that, isn't it? Oh, we have it and we read it and we're blessed by it, but we're meant to hear it as well. It's meant to be spoken and read. And I think Luther, in his provocative way, as only Martin Luther could say, the gospel is not really a document, but wishes to be a spoken word. That is why it must not be described with the pen, but with the mouth. Now, Luther is speaking about the power of the spoken word. And how it transforms and benefits the people of God. It's not to diminish the word that's written that we have and we study. What it is meant to be reminded of the word of God is meant to be spoken and heard. To listen to. It's nothing new in the New Testament when the Bible tells us in Colossians that the word of Christ should dwell in us richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Now today we're to speak the truth to one another. We're to proclaim the promises of God and bring to remembrance those things that God has declared for us because it is a spoken word. It is a a proclamation of his promises. And not a wish list, but something God has proclaimed to us, something that God has given to us. And in some ways, in our interaction with one another, isn't that what the church does as we encourage one another proclaiming these kind of promises in his presence? It may look differently depending on the situations we find ourselves, yet nevertheless, we're speaking and encouraging and listening to the word being proclaimed to one another. But also, not only by observation is it a spoken word, but it's also a word that's meant to be remembered. Now, in case some of you who hate math, you may not find this as interesting as, as others who really enjoy mathematics. Uh, the, the poem itself has a mathematical kind of tone to it. In fact, the first line in verse 24 has three letters in the Hebrew, or three words in the Hebrew. The second line has five, and the third line, the final line, has seven. And so it's building on, and it's meant to help the priest and help the people who hear it remember it. There are, again, if I can just give you the details for your curiosity, uh, 12 or 7, 
excuse me, <laughs> 12 syllables in the first line, 14 syllables, and 16 syllables. Each of these lines beginning with the covenant name of God and ending with the blessing or the benefit of God and his people. So it is here given to us, not only in a sense to proclaim to one another, to be proclaimed over us and to, to hear, but it was meant to be, to be ringing in the minds of those who hear the priests declare it. As they go away, the fullness of the words to resonate with them and to stay with them. I remember a pastor speaking to a bunch of preachers and about um, announcements. Those are one of those necessary evils, as someone has said, but nevertheless, he was speaking about announcements in a talk. And he said the thing that just really just bothers him is at the end of a service, when the preaching's done and the song is singing and the prayer is prayed, somebody gets up and says, oh, and by the way, there'll be a cake sale tomorrow. Or we have a potluck on Tuesday. I said that intentionally. Or whatever else is lingering on in announcements. And he said to us, you have missed the whole point of what went on that morning. The only thing people is leaving with is on Tuesday, I get lucky, there's a potluck. Or maybe I'll get Miss So-and-So's lemon drop cake. We went to the church with a lady who made a wonderful lemon drop cake. May the Lord bless her and keep her. (laughs) She gave us a whole one for Luke once. But what was meant and what is meant to go home with, to leave with, what is meant to be the last word resonating in our mind as we gather together is the word, the promises of God. It is meant to go home with us, to remind us, to stir us, to, to, to give us something to meditate on. It is the last word we are meant to hear in that sense. You see the benediction at the end of the worship service and sacrifice, the the promise of being accepted and the promise of God's favor. Uh, It is is calling us to recall that that as you go from this place, God goes with you. And some of you have been to a meeting and maybe it was a meeting or a retreat or some place where God has met with you in just a special way. And maybe like Peter, you said, you, you just never want to leave this place. Let's build a tabernacle here like on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the mediction, this word of God, this promise of God is meant to remind you as you leave this place, God leaves with you. We come and we worship in a a beautiful and wonderful, scriptural, necessary way corporately. But we leave here being reminded that God is still for his people even outside of this place. You could see the Israelite as he offered up his sacrifices or brought the things necessary to the tabernacle. And the priest did all that they did and he makes his journey back to whichever side he was stationed on. And, And as he goes back... Remembering that God is with him. God goes with him. That last word, that remembrance. Now, I want us to consider the promises themselves or the the statements themselves in verse 24 through 26. He says, beginning in verse number 24, the Lord bless you 
and keeps you. Now here, each time the covenant name of God is used, Yahweh, may Yahweh bless you and keep you. This is God entering into that covenant with his people, his blessings, the grace and and long-suffering kindness, all those things that accompany God's promises to his people. And it brings us back to the reminder that all of this is a reality, first and foremost, of God's movement towards us and not our movement towards him. This is what it looks like when God moves towards his people. In fact, this, it's as typical of God all through the Bible. We find even in Adam and Eve's sin, it was God who moved towards them, seeking them in the garden uh, in the cool of the day. It was God who comes to Noah, God who seeks Abraham or Abram at the time who was worshiping idols and draws him out and gives him the promises. It was God who has blessed his descendants, God who calls Moses and delivers the children of Israel out of Egypt. This is first and foremost God's movement towards us, his grace demonstrated of his kindness coming towards us. And all of it fleshing out what it looks like when God comes, the form of his blessing. Blessings are not a part of something abstract from God. The promises of keeping and his countenance and favor are not apart from him, but are realities and the outflow of what it means of God being with us. God in the midst of his people in their day in, day out life. He says, may the Lord bless you. And keep you. Now we know the Bible teaches us that Genesis is filled with that desire of blessing, isn't it? God blesses his creation, tells them to multiply. God blesses Abraham. He blesses Jacob after Jacob searches for a blessing and and seeks after it deceptively all those years. Then finally hanging on at the end, he says, I'll not let go until you bless me. At the end of Genesis, we find it is that very same Jacob, Israel, now who blesses his children. You and I search for blessings and seek blessings in this life in many different ways, many different kinds of blessings. And here, this promise is to the nation of Israel, the Lord bless you and keep you. The most prominent, probably, or or memorable place that you could turn to is Deuteronomy chapter 28 and and I won't read through all of those but those first 14 verses of chapter 28 is Moses's sermon to the children of Israel as they go into the promised land he is declaring the reality of what it means to be the people of God in covenant with God and so the first 14 verses just simply could be summed up as God's favor poured out in such a dramatic way that he says, And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Do you see the image? As if you're running and then all of a sudden you're overwhelmed with the blessings of God. They overtake you. It is here that we see Blessings in the 
to the nation of Israel as they enter into Canaan land, the blessings of God, giving them prosperity and uh, fruitfulness, giving them safety and battle and all the other things that he promised to them in Deuteronomy and all through the Pentateuch. Now we might ask ourselves, is that it then? We come to this passage, do we seek, as some teach in our day, this is the blessing that we look for, prosperity. We'll have lots of children. We're going to have lots of fruit on the, on the vine. We're going to have lots of houses and lots of space and all that other stuff like that. And it's true, God blesses us with physical blessings, isn't it? But is that the kind of blessing that he has in mind here for us in the New Testament? You could say the other side, or is this something solely that is for the people of God and should I just go back to the New Testament and read something there and stick with it? And I would say both of those are wrong. Both of those miss the beauty and the fullness that this promise gives to us found in Christ. We just went through the book of Hebrews coming to that realization that the New Testament teaches us that the blessings of God flow not from the lips of a Old Testament priest, a son of Aaron, but through the life and obedient priest, which is Jesus Christ. To put it another way, all of the blessings of God extended to us, his favor and his goodness and will and in his work or actions to us is found in Jesus Christ. Christ. As Aaron was to say this over the nation of Israel, we have a greater priest who is to not only say these blessings to us, but to secure these blessings by himself and with his very life. And how can we be sure of this? Well, we saw that in Galatians this morning, didn't we? Because Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, Galatians 3.13. Because following the blessings in Deuteronomy 28 is a whole list of curses for disobedience to the law of God and how God will, will judge them for their disobedience. And so what we see in the New Testament is our, our blessings is not dependent upon our action, but is given to us based upon Christ's action. Because he was obedient. Because he always had the smile of the Father and always obeyed the Father. All of the blessings and promises in the Bible are given to us in Christ as yes and yes. Not like Deuteronomy 28 where it's yes and no. And the reason we can be sure of this in Galatians' word and and in the New Testament is because Christ took all of those curses declared on the disobedient or on disobedience for us. If blessing or if to be blessed by God is to live in his presence, then to be cursed is to be damned by God, to be cursed or, or judged by God. So Christ in his death upon the cross and his crucifixion takes our condemnation, takes our judgment. He himself becomes the curse, cursed in the, in the way and cursed in the city and, and in the street and cursed in the field and cursed in the home and continually cursed so that you and I might have a more sure and steady, fuller blessing 
promise to us. And so while in one way this was a promise to the children of Israel, it is much more a reality and blessing to the people of God in this New Testament age. Because Christ has secured our blessing. And we might wonder, where, does God think about us the same way? Does he not love us as much as he loves the people in the Old Testament? Because there were material stuff and, and land and all that stuff. In the New Testament, we have promise to us trials and tribulations and hardships and, and all sorts of things. And what the Bible tells us in the New Testament, that our blessings from God are greater. They are different. Another familiar passage of Scripture, and I want you to just turn with me and we'll read through this. We've seen it over and over. Not only Christ giving us that greater portion and stability and blessings. They're greater in promises. I want to say on the outset before we begin reading verse number 3 of Ephesians 1, that these blessings of God or God's promise is only true in Jesus Christ. We read that is not true by the law. It's not true by your own merit or own worth or your own or earning so it is only true in jesus christ and it is different in nature ephesians 1 speaks of spiritual blessings in heavenly places we see in this life that we're described as those who have those who possess and those who are still yet to possess we have the reality of now and the not yet Many of us are familiar with that, but he's pointing us not to the the temporary blessings only of this life, those things which will will die off, but to the permanent, the eternal, the, the joyous fellowship of being with God and in Christ and those things which are eternal in nature, which will not fade and will not falter. Notice beginning of verse number three, he says, blessed be God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, not just some, not just one or two, but all of them, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Don't you like the word lavished? I know we had a young man named Aaron from Marchie's Church here with us who who was a visual demonstration of lavished when he put ketchup on anything. He lavished it in ketchup. In fact, he ate his ketchup with a few fries. God's grace lavished on us. He goes on, verse number 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to a purpose which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the 
purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Isn't that a beautiful promise? The realities of what we have in Christ. Did you see that all through there? That it was in him that we have these? That it is in love, his, his attitude, his delight, his love towards us in Christ. His predestined work of adoption. Our acceptance, our forgiveness, our belonging, our inheritance. All of these blessings are given to us. Not by what we earn or achieve or if we can figure it out and get smart enough to, 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 to get it worked out. But through Christ he secured all of these for us. And so the Lord blesses us. It is he himself who blesses us. Because it is the Lord who has secured these blessings For us, giving to us all the blessings that are his. I know that times that we look at ourselves and we wonder about the blessings of God or God bless us, does God bless us? And we get kind of, we get sideways a little bit, don't we? We look at ourselves and we say, I'm just not worthy of it. I didn't earn it. I'm just never going to make it. I'm just messed up. And all these other things that we come up with. And yet, the Bible says it is not to ourselves we're to look for the blessings of God. It is not to ourselves we're to look to for our own salvation. But it is Christ where we're to look. It is Christ where we find security. It is Him where we find these promises given to us. It is His obedience. He never faltered. He was always obedient. He fulfilled the law. But He did not just do this because He could. Although he could, because he did. But this is important. So that you and I might be overtaken by the blessings of God promised to us in him. Overwhelmed, captured by the poured out goodness of God, unimaginable. What does it mean, God among his people? It means the Lord will bless you. But not just bless you. But Christ himself, so secure in achieving our blessing, will keep you. We read in the Old Testament of God, and we know it's speaking of Christ. He that keeps Israel never never slumbers nor sleeps. Love that psalm, don't you? Christ telling us twice in John of his secure work and In John 6, he says that this is the will of him who sent me, speaking of his father, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me and raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. John 10, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never, what, church? Perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. When I was a child and I used to go to tent meetings, people would speak about the rapture could happen any moment, scare you going home, going to bed and wonder if you're going to wake up or 
who's going to be in the house if you wake up or anybody at all. And I remember one of the fears I had is that when the Lord comes back, that as, you know, it speaks about us ascending or meeting him in the air, that somebody would grab my feet. And I'd miss it. Because the devil didn't want me to go and he grabbed my feet or somebody else who didn't want me to go grab my feet. That's a silly fear of a child, isn't it? Oh, but how many of us adults live in fear and wonder at the goodness and security that's found in Christ? Will he not finish the work he started in us? He says, they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You are secure in him. He keeps us. Peter is saying the same thing. First Peter chapter 1, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's pretty secure, isn't it? Here we see the blessings of Christ given to us, belonging the fullness of all those spiritual blessings and the promise that he will keep us. Notice quickly with me back in Numbers Verse number 25, it is the petition, the proclamation that the Lord would make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Not just corporately, but you singularly. May God's face shine on you. May he turn towards you in favor. Some of you know what it's like going to a person or a place with a person working there is just miserable and and they don't want to be there, they don't want to talk to you, and they don't want to help you. You know, you, you know what it's like not to be in favor in the presence of a person. And for some, maybe it's a, a bitter, mean father who you could just never please or never satisfy. It's always wrong. It's always messed up. You just never measure up. Or a mom or whatever it may be. We have that experience of knowing what it means to live in the displeasure of someone. We also, I think, in in some ways, I think all of us to some degree, know what it's like to be in the presence of someone who delights in you, who lights up. And some of you are like that with children that are not even your own. I mean, not when they get old enough to run around. Some of you are back to the other side of the spectrum, I think. And your face is not lighting on them. It's more um, shadowing them. But, but you, you grab a baby, then automatically you a grown person, a man and a woman who know the English language for the most part and speak normally, begin to speak gibberish. And you make silly noises and you smile. And think about that pleasure, that delight, that kindness you're showing that child. In some ways, that's what he's praying for here. Let the, the kindness, let the, the pleasure, let the, the goodness, the compassion, the pity of God be seen in his face as he looks at us. As he comes, let his favor be shown in the way he looks for Psalms 4, who will show us some good. And the psalmist prays, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Psalms 80 Several times he says, let your face shine that we may be saved. Psalms 43.3, you delivered us 
And it was because of the light of your face, for you delighted in us. The psalmist is saying, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Understand that as he lives and dwells among his people, his heart towards his people. That's what you see here. You could describe it in, in, in a lot of ways, but, but at the bottom of it, it's showing his, his pleasure, his delight. Greg taught us on prayer last week, and, and as you go through those lessons on prayer, we reminded that it is your heavenly Father who knows what you have need of that we're called to come to. And not a scowling old man or kind of a halfway whatever you want to call it, just kind of leaving it out there to see where you land before we realize whether he likes you or not. It is one who loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son that you might not perish but have everlasting life. And if he demonstrated such love and grace and, and delight and kindness in giving his son for our salvation, he's saying that continual dwelling of God is his delight in his people. His kindness showed to his people. It is seen in his grace poured out continually. Oh, we're saved by grace, aren't we? We're kept by grace. Grace isn't just like a cupful, and you get cupful, you get saved, and that's good. You, you get on the way with legalism. It's all about do and don't. We are saved, kept, continually poured out by grace because grace is not an object. Grace is an explanation of God's favor towards you. And so the blessing of the people to the people of God is not only, Lord, bless them and keep them, but let your face shine upon them and be gracious because he is a gracious God. So many places you could go to that, but quickly notice verse number 26. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Verse 25 and 26 both speak of the face of the Lord and his kindness. One speaks of the intent, the other speaks of the attention. While we see his compassion towards his people, verse number 26, we see his, his ear, his, his attentiveness to their needs. I know that we live in a culture, and, and I... I'm guilty of that, of, of spacing out and missing a lot. How many of you are that way? You just miss it. I try to catch things while I'm driving, but then whoever's riding with me, where's Ben at? Whoever rides with me, they get mad at me because I'm trying to see everything that's going on around me. But here the petition, the promise is not only will God's favor be seen, but he will be attentive to your needs, to where you are. That his presence among you isn't just kind of this general stamp, but he knows exactly where you're walking right now, what's going on in your life, every detail of the burden you carry or the sorrow or the joy, all of that is within his full grasp and knowledge. He is keeping watch over you continually. He is a good shepherd that cares for his sheep. Let his countenance be lifted up upon you and let him give you peace one commentator said it this way peace is that shalom in hebrew more than 
the absence of war, though that's nice. It means well-being, healthy, prosperity, and salvation. In short, the sum total of all of God's good gifts to his people. It is no accident that we begin this blessing, this benediction with blessing and culminated in the experience of God's presence, favor, and peace. And that is what Christ has come to do, make peace, give peace, sustain us in peace. His peace he leaves with us, not as the world gives, his joy he gives to us. In 1972 or 1979, two small silver scrolls were found in Jerusalem. It dated back to the 7th century B.C. and contained on these very small scrolls was this benediction on each of them. It was found in the burial site as if the, those who had been buried there had been laid to rest with these promises on their possession. I want to just remind you, it is not a magical formula that when you say these things, God automatically shows favor and kindness. What this is for us is a proclamation of what God gives to us in Christ Jesus. It is ours now. If you know him, if you've been born again, if you've been, you've been redeemed, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, the words that you find in Numbers chapter number 6 concluding this is God's promise declaration of his care and goodness towards you through christ it has been a comfort to god's people all throughout the centuries and and i'm under the conviction that it is much more real and precious to us in the day in which we live because of the fullness we have when we look to its security found in jesus And if you don't know Christ this morning, this is the blessing of God offered to us in the gospel, isn't it? God moving towards us. His favor being seen through grace, not meeting us according to our iniquities, but meeting us according to his goodness and his mercy and the obedience of Christ. Well, since our text is a benediction, it seems only fitting by concluding with it. Follow along with me as I read again verse 22 through 27. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his son saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them indeed pray with me father we thank you for this morning that you have given to us well thank you for the reminders and the songs and the scriptures that have been read and the testimonies of of your goodness lavished out on us through your son lord i pray that we all know the joy of that and we would grow as the apostle paul Praise for us in the depth and width and breadth and height of the love that you have shown us in Christ. And God, I pray that if someone here does not know Christ, forgiveness of sin, that they would even see the blessing of God extended to them. 
the one who hung upon the tree became a curse so that they might receive his blessing. And Father, would you do that work even now in their hearts? Now be with your people as we leave here. Prepare us even as we come back this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Stephen, <clears throat> we are going to sing 705, 705, it is well with my soul, 705, please stand when you find it.
can you close us in prayer? Dismissed. <clears throat>